We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Light Years. Biggest game of the season, and they no-show harder than any game this season. This is probably the best way to describe the 2021 Golden State Warriors. Andy Lou is off tonight. I have Aaron Larsoul sitting across from me. Aaron, I don't even know where to start. Like, for a lot of games this season, it's easy to blame someone specific, you know, Curl leaves Steph on the bench two minutes too long and they lose by two points. Coaching error. Uh, Andrew Wiggins goes two for 27. Um, you know, what are you going to do with that? He's playing awful. Tonight, it was just, to me, it was just a collective failure. Just a, yeah, I mean, just a complete ass kicking. Um, and you make a good point about, you know, like, who do you blame? There's plenty of blame to go around for everyone. I thought the Warriors were in trouble when possession, offensive possession number one, Steph gives the ball up basically before he crosses half court to Michael Mulder and then never sees it again. And that was kind of a microcosm of, of everything. I know people in the chat and, and people even on Twitter have been critical of Kerr and the not practicing. Nobody's practicing a lot. And I think this was just kind of a, it was, it was a Warriors no-show. I don't think this is specifically on the Warriors aren't practicing, but I think it's another instance of Steve Kerr like tripping over himself and getting in the way, talking too much. So let's talk about that. You've obviously worked for multiple NBA teams. Um, this, particularly in this condensed season, no one's doing aggressive. Like, what is practice for teams right now? When you have a game every other day, the Warriors haven't had more than one day off between games in a while. I mean, quite frankly, most of the league hasn't. So what, what happens on, I guess, let, let's start with this. Tell listeners, what happens on off days when you play on Sunday, you have Monday off, you play Tuesday? So in a normal season, 
uh, depending on who the coach is and depending on how well the team has been playing, there can be some mandatory work, but not always. And in, in this, in these times, in the post COVID times, um, people aren't just are not practicing a lot. So generally what's going to happen is if you play on Sunday and then you have the off day Monday, and then you're going to play on Tuesday, there's going to be a walkthrough on Tuesday morning to go through all of your, your stuff specific plan. to the game. Right. And then Monday is generally going to be uh, a treatment day. It's going to be uh, an optional treatment day. Guys can come in, get shots up if they want and can come in. If anybody has like lingering stuff, injuries, they can come in and get treatment. But as far as organized team activities, it is very rare for teams to have full on practices these days. Yeah. And I mean, that that's for veteran teams, for rookie teams and for everyone in the middle at this point. So I'm not I don't I don't put too much stock into that. It just it's just one of those things when you start. When you go nine nine minutes and 40 seconds without making a shot, which is quite frankly just hard to do, um, people are looking for someone to blame there. I don't even know where to start. Like it was. Well, just, the answer is the answer is everyone. But yeah, like it has to start somewhere, and the start is Steve Kerr. He's overseeing all of this, at least what's happening on the floor and the game plan and all of that. So it has to start there. Sure. I mean, I think if you want to talk about the coaching, the bigger take is they've had too many games like this this year. Everyone's allowed a mulligan game at some point. Everyone gets blown out a couple times a year. The bigger issue is it seems like the Warriors, anytime they gain a little momentum and something's coming up, there's a game like this. And particularly against the Mavericks, a team who – completely no-showed yesterday, ironically. Right. And in a game where the Warriors could have pushed within a game and a half of the sixth seed and owned the tiebreaker, which really means they're only a half game behind Dallas in terms of, um, you know, superseding them in the playoff standings. To come out like this, it's, it's unacceptable. And in some ways, I kind of – start with um, Steph and Draymond because they're the leaders of the team. Steph's, you know, Steph had what, eight points in the first four minutes and then proceeded to not really get the ball much after that. They started trapping him aggressively. Um, I didn't see anyone trying to do anything about that. I didn't see anyone trying to change the strategy to come up with uh, some way to, to free him up. I thought Draymond was subpar is probably a polite way. It to was, it. it was Draymond. It was the worst game of Draymond's season. You think so? I mean, it yeah. was up there. I mean, he, if you if you if you, con- okay. if you consider the stakes, yeah, he's had other bad games, but the stakes have not been this high. You would think with Dallas really and them really smelling blood to get out of the play in, you would have got peak playoff Draymond, especially you know, kind of like because the, the sixteen game player, especially because the the following six games are so so easy. It really felt like with the way the Warriors had been playing, winning seven of nine or whatever it is. This one mattered for the for the reasons you just mentioned in terms of getting trying to get the six seed. And then the next six games are an absolute cakewalk. So this is the one where you plant your flag and say, you know, this is not the Warriors team you've seen. But what happened was Draymond was terrible. Not only the turnovers and taking no the energy, the energy level was was I mean, he had like kind of 
um, you know, 10th game of the season in early January. But, and like there was, there was zero. Urgency and that bled over to Wiggins. All. It looked like Wiggins did nothing all day. Ubre looked like the first handful of games. Ubre. Um, and then, and Steph, look, and, and it's always hard to divorce between or, or figure out between is it Steph? Is it the system? Is it Kerr? Is it Steph? But you mentioned it before, I, and I mentioned it about how he gave up the rock on the first possession and then did nothing, scored eight quick points, and then went four or five or six possessions where he literally didn't touch the ball in the front court again. I tend to put most of the blame on not Steph, but Steph has to take some ownership of that also and go get the ball and go make something happen. You, He is that good, so go make something happen. Every they were. Time. Yeah, I was going to say they were aggressively double teaming him. But it's not the first and, time he's ever seen that. But at that. the same – no, and he wasn't being double teamed by Kawhi Leonard and Paul George either. It was like Maxi Cleaver and Trey Burke and – Dwight Powell and yes, two bodies trapping you at half court is a lot, but like you said, he's seen it and this isn't exactly uh, the greatest defensive team on earth. Like they should have counters. He should have count. He should have counters on how to uh, counteract that. Rick, Rick Carlisle is a good and creative coach, um, but Steph looked passive. Some of that is on him. Some of that, look, He's out setting back screens for, for the mitten. I mean, that is just like, you, you cannot do that. That I don't care what any system you have, you cannot do that. But to be fair, some of that is also on Steph. And he has to go. He is a superstar. He is the, the only offensive engine this team has. And he has to go and take the ball sometimes. But that is not in his... Did it not just feel to you like, okay... So the start of the game was normal. They were kind of trading buckets. Uh, looked like it, you know, looked like it was going to be a good game. Then Dallas gets kind of on a run, and then it felt like uh, almost like the Warriors were like rolling their eyes, like here we go again, that sort of thing. And that's kind of where I put it a little more on Draymond and Steph, where you're the leaders of the team, you're three-time champions you have to kind of be the guys who take change the momentum of the game, whether it be upping the intensity defensively or taking the rock offensively and be like, yeah, I'm going to force it right now and get you guys on my back. Because like, let's, let's be real about this. Wiggins is a max contract, but he's not a max player. He's not a leader. Uh, Uber is not that guy either. Michael Mulder's, you know, Michael Mulder making the NBA is an amazing story in its own right. Sure. Like the point is they're going to follow Steph and Draymond's lead and those guys just you know I can throw Steve Kerr into this too because it's you know getting yourself teed up after the team's down 35 like great that, that's that's fake hustle hall of fame you know it's like any, <laughs> make sure, anyone make sure they recognize that discontinued dribble yeah it's like any of those but all three of those guys they've been here before and they they know you need to stop a run when they get to eight, eight zero, ten zero, you don't expect it to snowball to like twenty five zero. Like usually, that doesn't happen. Well, I but saw like, a stat. I think it was twenty eight zero, and it is the second lar- longest run without uh, one team scoring in the last twenty years, like tied with the Knicks in two thousand seventeen. Twenty eight nothing just doesn't happen in NBA games. 
Yeah, exactly. And it's to me, I I mean, like I said, I want to spread the blame here. We've been ultra critical of Steve Kerr over the year. I think we've been mostly fair, but either way, like those three guys, they're all veterans. They're all leaders, the coach and the two leaders of the team. They let that game get away. I don't know that they could have turned it. Dallas could have easily won the game, but. I guess my problem. Yeah, you're correct. My problem is. It's not the game plan doesn't seem uh, malleable and it doesn't seem again for the hundredth time this season doesn't seem to maximize the best parts of this team. Every possession that Steph is not the focal point of the offense, whether it's him taking the shot or him making the decision is a victory for the opposition. So when Steph has and I'm you know what next game I'm going to chart it and actually count. But when Steph is on the floor, it felt to me, even in the, the, the minutes that mattered today, it felt to me like 30 or 35% of the offensive possessions, he was just a bystander on the side. He would give the ball up. Oh, he was. He was. It. And that the only, I don't the only He doesn't have to shoot every time, but he has, to be, he has to be the main initiator of the offense every single possession or else the it's only a thing for the defense. Will. The only thing I'll counter with is, in the words of the great Marcus Thompson, who was on yeah, the really last episode it. of Light yeah. Years. If you guys haven't really checked, if you guys haven't checked it out, as he as he said, what's Steve gonna do if Steph actually commands the ball? You think he's gonna tell him don't? Sure, some of it's on. So there yeah. has to be a li- so yeah. I mean, like he, we love to talk about how Steph is the most coachable superstar in the NBA, which he probably is. The downside to that is if they're in a little bit of a tailspin, it takes him maybe a little longer to, you know, do the thing that we kind of associate with like Kobe or MJ or those guys where they just take over. They're just like, screw this. I'm about to change the amount of the game. And it can be a little frustrating sometimes when you're like, you know, stuff's capable of that. And, and in certain games, he does it in certain games. He's like, I'm not standing for this. I'm going to assert myself. And He's complete enough. He can insert himself in like 50 different ways offensively. Um, tonight's game, it didn't feel that way. But like, I just going back to the theme, this feels like a collective fail across the board. Like the players didn't show up. The coaches didn't show up. Uh, it seems like the trainers showed up. So good for them. But that's about it. <laughs> well, I, I think it also, you know, as much as we praise Steph, um, and he is he is worthy of all of that, this might be some of the thing, and he's probably in the best shape of anybody in the NBA, at least cardiovascularly. But this might be one of those, or this might be an example of one of those times where, because he's small and slight, even though he's put on a bunch of of muscle, that he just wears down. This stretch that he's been on has been incredible, and has been so taxing physically, mentally, etc. Just, just a casual forty points a game for like a month, right? Yeah. But so this, it, it could be that you know, like. There's going to be games because he's so small physically compared to NBA athletes that he's just tired and worn down and can't do it every game all the time. And so, again, we talk about maybe, you know, some of this is on Steph. I I would guess he's probably just worn out and like doesn't want to go and take the ball all the time like we all want him to. I, I agree with you. In the macro, I don't agree with you in the micro on this one. I didn't think he looked worn out tonight. I think actually, if anything, what was frustrating about tonight was when everything turned the opposite way, I felt like both he and Draymond had that here we go again, kind of like instead of taking the game 
by the by the reign of the horns. I thought they I thought they could have asserted themselves more so. Oh, so they certainly they certainly should have. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. They certainly should have. I just have seen Steph decide on occasion, okay, I'm doing mm-hmm. this. And today it didn't look like he had that gear. All right. Well, I have a quote for you. Now now it's getting Please. spicy. We're okay, going to read this it. quote. Let's re- let's react to this one and then we'll bring on um whoever wants to speak. Steve Kerr. I'm not concerned about the nine-minute scoring drought. I'm concerned about the level of intensity and preparation and the competitiveness. I did not have them ready to play. Clearly. Biggest game of the year, and it was over before it started. I mean, I have, I have thoughts on that, but I'll, I'll let you go first, Aaron. <laughs> yeah, so the problem with it, like, he's talking out of both sides of his mouth there, like, I'm concerned about the intensity, but I didn't have them ready. Okay, it's on you. Nobody told you this is the most important game of the year. You said it's the most important game of the year, Steve, and then you just didn't have them ready. They com- a complete no-show, and that's on him. So he's sort of taking responsibility and sort of skirting it. It's like, again, Steve Kerr, I think he means well. I think he's a smart guy, which is problematic because he steps in it way too often. I think on balance, he's a good coach and a good human being. But he, again, is another example of him getting himself in trouble by talking too much. To me, this was coach trying to take the bullet for his team. I mean, well, that, hold on. it, it doesn't take, take a rocket take scientist to figure that one out. <laughs> yeah, doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that one out. Um, but... The the real question is why why does this keep happening? Like now we can talk about it. This is kind of what's been associated with guys like Andrew Wiggins' career all year, their whole career, right? Like Wiggins always been a guy who people have been like, does he care enough? And you know, plays a couple good games and no shows other games, blah blah blah. But on the other hand. I don't know that this is a team of guys outside of Wiggins I would define as lethargic. Like, Juan Scott Anderson's not that player. Draymond Green's not that player. Steph Curry's not that player. Uh, we, can, we can argue about the talent level of some of the other guys, like Oubre, like Looney, like, um, well, I guess Damian Lee didn't play tonight, but like Michael Mulder, these guys. But like, they're, I would, if nothing else, define them as players who tend to show up and bring effort on a nightly basis. So that's what is concerning to me where he goes, we weren't prepared. We didn't have the right intensity. Like this isn't a roster of. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Outside of Wiggins, who's kind of been, you know, for, for better or worse, that's his reputation. Um, 
I don't think any of the other guys on this team have a reputation for being like for lacking intensity. They, they, you know, for the most part have a reputation for lacking specific talents or. Yeah. It's because it's because it's a roster made up of a top heavy roster made up of a few guys making a ton of money. And then a bunch of fringe NBA guys who are only in the NBA because they bust their ass every possession. Look, no one's perfect. Even the best baseball players strike out with the bases loaded. The best golfers sometimes three-putt with the tournament on the line. So if you feel like you're coming up short in the bedroom sometimes, it's perfectly okay. But if it's bothering you, there are options. Go to roman.com slash lightyears now. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A U.S. licensed healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, it ships to you free with two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to getroman.com slash lightyears and complete an online visit. Take care of your ED without leaving your home. Complete an online visit today to connect with the doctor and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash LightYears and get $15 off your first month. Look, there's a straightforward way to take care of your ED. GetRoman.com slash LightYears. Get started now to save $15 off your first month of treatment. All right, let's open this up. Let's open this to questions. Let's get some sound offs here. Let's go from there. I'm going to start, well, at the top of the list. Larry, what's going on? Larry, can you hear us? I can hear you. How are you doing, sir? Just say an, an, an eight-minute, thirty-three to four run <laughs> in the first quarter, reminiscent of the last four or five minutes of Game Seven, 2016. Kerr didn't call a single timeout. Okay, I don't care who had problems with effort. I don't care anything. He needed to gather the team during that thirty-three to four run. And that was the game. And I, I'm usually really um, a Steve Kerr fan, but more and more, I think he's not doing the work. And I'll Larry, just, that's it. I appreciate it, Larry. I do. So, Aaron, we can talk about this. This is a classic Phil Jackson move, right? Where you don't call a timeout and you kind of make your team play through it, trusting that they're going to have some pride and figure it out, right? Sure. The problem is that stuff works when you have Andre Godala, when you have David West, when you have a bunch of veterans who don't need you to call a timeout and instruct them. This team, it's Steph, Draymond, and a bunch of puppies, right? Like they need, they need the Greg Popovich. You blew two defensive assignments in a row. I'm calling a timeout and I don't want to say yelling at you, but like getting in your face about like what to focus on, because like we, we saw tonight young players like that, like this can snowball really quick. Clearly and free, free fall. Right. Like, I mean, you, you don't expect it to go nine and a half minutes and um, 28 zero I mean, the way I'm, it did. But like but, but, Steph Curry, who is the only offensive player on this roster doesn't get a touch. It's not that shocking. Right, right. But I mean, like, on the on the broader scale, like, 
you can't coach this team the way you coach the 2017 or 2000, 2019, 2019 Warriors basically played with their food every game. Like they were just so over everything. They're like, get me to the playoffs. They didn't stay healthy, but like that sort of thing. Like, but they were veteran. You could, you, you didn't need to call a timeout because Kevin Durant uh, didn't make a rotation on defense. This is probably the kind of team you should be calling a timeout when they blow two rotations. Correct. In a row. Correct. So, you made a very good point, and you and I have talked about this a lot about how uh, Kerr is very much a disciple of Phil Jackson, and how Phil didn't call timeouts, you know, and he was going to let his team figure it out. And uh, Kerr got into that habit of letting his teams figure it out because he was a disciple of Phil Jackson, and that's what we're for Phil Jackson. The problem is Phil Jackson and Steve Kerr up until last year never coached any teams that weren't overwhelmingly more talented than everyone they were playing. Or or just veteran. Like the bigger thing with Phil, like uh, his teams were always made up of a bunch of 30 plus. But it's it's more than that. They were made up of teams that were older, but also teams that were going to win titles. True. guys Guys that were not only veteran and knew the NBA, but were better than everybody they were playing. And Kerr has not adjusted to last year and has not adjusted to this year where he doesn't have that kind of talent. He doesn't have those teams that, you know what, those guys can figure it out because they've been through the championship war. And sometimes sometimes it's better to not bail them out because they need to figure it out. Like, I don't know that Kelly Oubre or or, uh, Michael Mulder can figure it out. Like, they kind of need the coaching and the instruction in real time. Otherwise, it snowballs. If they can figure it out, it's going to be after they've won a title or two and have been through all of those wars that give you the scars and give you the stripes of NBA experience so that you have something to draw on to figure it out. Absolutely. All right, let's get to the next caller. Jackson. By the way, Jackson is my inspiration for starting room number two. Thank you. For, for letting us figure that out. Now, he did the, like, the Nintendo cartridge, just blowing it and trying again. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. No, we no we pulled out the old, school, the old school Sega Genesis, blow on it, put it back in, it works. All right, yeah, no problem, guys. I mean, after tonight, um, I've had this take on the Warriors for a while. It's probably going to piss a lot of fans off, but I've been hearing a lot on Twitter like, oh, no one wants to see the Warriors in the first round. Like, the Jazz should be scared. Like, I actually think this Warriors team is better suited in the regular season than the playoffs because I think you get in the playoffs and you can scheme more specifically towards the Warriors' style of play and the Steph, and I think teams are going to just, as we've seen in years past, they're going to just bully him. They're going to put two guys on him. They're going to sell out even harder than usual, and he's probably going to shoot like 25 or score 25 points a game, shoot 40% from the field, not even because it's his fault, just because I think he's going to see two, three guys on him at all times and so I don't know I've been seeing that a lot after tonight I think it definitely reinforces my point but I just wanted to know what y'all think about that and if the Warriors do actually pose a threat to like the Jazz or whoever's in the one seed or if you think that they're more suited for the regular season which is how I think I think their style of play and getting a regular season long draining schedule is more suitable than in playoffs when you can scheme to that offense. Jackson, thank you. That is a phenomenal question. I'm going to give you a gem for that. Now, um, now, Aaron, I'll start with you. Okay, so let's – at this point, we can throw the sixth seed away. So they are playing – 
Correct. for the seven or the eight. If they, you know, they could, depending how the plan works out, they could be the seven or the eight seed if everything works out, which means they're either going to be matching up with Utah, uh, Phoenix, or potentially the Clippers. I don't see the Lakers or Denver having any shot to get into the top two with the amount of games left. With that said, what do you think about their chances versus any of these teams? Uh, they have a chance to scare all three of them. They have no chance to beat any of them. Um, that was a really good question. It was a really good point. Uh, Steph has been incredible in, in the playoffs and in the finals previously, but, uh, compared to his regular season stuff, he has not been as good. You can, and, and especially like you can see, he was good. In, in the finals against Toronto, but Nick Nurse schemed against him with all, a lot of the stuff you're seeing now because KD wasn't well, there. So, so this is, wasn't there. This is my this is my broader question to you. What are the Warriors counters when they run into a when Utah decides all right, we're tired of Steph torching Rudy Gobert and so that's role. the thing. I think we're just going to throw – because, like, that's – against Utah, I can almost guarantee you the way it's going to go down is Steph's going to go for 45 or 50 um, by exploiting the mismatch, and then Quinn Snyder's going to decide, all right, we're 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 not going to just let live in drop coverage versus Steph. We're just going to throw two bodies out. Correct. Although – so here's the thing. I, I agree with you. I think the Warriors out of those three teams – I think the Warriors have the best chance against Utah specifically because Steph has twisted Gobert into a pretzel in the playoffs a bunch before. Right. And um, I, I, you remember a couple of years ago with Houston, one of the things was they started switching everything. <clears throat> Excuse me. They started switching everything in the regular season specifically to practice to switch in the playoffs because switching requires so much communication and running different coverages requires a lot of communication and cues from your teammates. And if you haven't drilled that, if you haven't practiced that, if that's not something that's in your muscle memory, that becomes difficult. And Utah doesn't do that. So Utah's like trying to switch up their coverages in the middle of a series because it's, it's going to throw them Gobert off. It's going to, it's going to cause Utah problems. So I think the Warriors would have the best chance against Utah. The problem is Utah's offense. You run into the math problem Right. The Warriors cause for everybody else for a bunch of years is Utah is just going to make a ton of open threes because the Warriors, frankly, for everything they do well defensively, rotating and closing out on uh, corner threes is not something they do well out of drive and kick when they're defending the drive and kick. So I don't think the Warriors are going to beat Utah, but I would give them the best chance against Utah, frankly, because I think Steph can torture Rudy Gobert. And I don't. Utah, would Utah be, doesn't U- have the institutional knowledge to switch it up like that. Utah is interesting because they have, they're probably running the, I don't want to say maybe the smartest scheme. Like they're the most optimized team where they probably outperform their talent. Like they're not the best team in the NBA, but they have the best record because they I just playing. Yeah, they, they just play the smartest, the smartest basketball of any team. But like a lot of it is dependent on the volume of threes they take. And it's a bunch of guys that I'm not confident are going to hit 38 to 40 percent in a legitimate playoff series like Joe Inglis will. But is Donovan Mitchell, Royce O'Neal, Jordan Clarkson, 
even Mike Conley, are those guys going to shoot it at this clip versus an aggressive defense? Probably not. And so you run into that interesting thing where it's like they're, they're a better team than the Warriors. They're doing certain things better, but like I trust Steph to hit 41% of his shots in a three, in a playoff series and on volume more than I trust any of those guys. So I, I think the other thing with Utah is they're, you, the Warriors Utah will win style. a game or two <laughs> with Steph just turning Gobert into a sure. pretzel in the drop coverage. Right. And then they have the Warriors have decent options to throw at, uh, at Donovan Mitchell. So there's like an eight for 26 game or two from Donovan right. Mitchell when he just tries to do too much. But like, I, I think the math problem becomes too much because the Warriors, other than Steph, don't shoot reliably enough. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we can talk about, oh, I don't trust Donovan Mitchell in playoff series. It's like, well, do you trust Andrew Wiggins or Kelly Oubre? You know, it's the same. It's not like, you know, it's not like we're countering with uh, Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant here. All right, we keep moving. Mike Mikas. Mike, Mike, Mike only calls in after law, after um, historic – uh, beatdowns. Like last time you called, last time you called in, you gave us probably the, the most depressing story ever about how your first ever in-person Warriors game was the uh, Tampa beatdown. I figured he was at Chase again. Um, actually, <laughs> interestingly enough, the shirt that uh, my girlfriend wore to the game at that Tampa game has been like dirty this whole time. Washed it, finally wore it today. Uh, I'm not wearing that shirt. Why you ain't? Why you ain't burning like, that? Burn no, it's it. gonna, yeah, it's, 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 it's literally going to get burnt. It's like the only two games it's ever been worn for have been like just the worst losses. I will, I will buy you, I will buy you a t-shirt to replace it. But we got to get rid of that. It's clearly bad karma. Um, I have two questions. Uh, I've been trying to ask this for a while, but I have, I thought that there was going to be some boost from having fans back in Chase because this is a team that I think always in the past played with uh, such emotion. You know, Steph hitting like deep you know, fuck you threes and, and Draymond getting chased down blocks. And, you know, they play with such a, they used to always play with such a, uh, a rigor in front of their fans. And I thought that maybe this would be a team of all the teams in the league that would have gotten like a, I would have thought a palpable boost from having fans back, but I am starting to worry that maybe that's not the case. And maybe Chase Center just has uh, bad vibes. And I'm curious what your guys' take on that is. And also, is Luka Doncic one of the least watchable and enjoyable uh, superstars in the league? <laughs> no, and I, I mean, like, I used to hate Harden more than any other superstar because of the way he played on Houston. And I've actually warmed up to him on Brooklyn, which I find amazing. But I think Luka's taken that title in terms of, like, a, like Steph was getting just hacked all first quarter. And I, I really think that took him out of the game when he wasn't getting any calls. Uh, and then Luka will go down and get, like, not even nearly touched as much as Steph. And the hands are just in the air after every shot. And it's... He's like actually infuriating to watch. And I really think him and, and Harden, you know, obviously when he played that way and, uh, and Trey Young by extension, all of those players, they're like so bad for the sport of basketball and they're just like impossible to watch and enjoy. Mike, I appreciate the questions. They're both good. I'm going to start on the first one. I don't think we can, first off, I, they're, they're what? 3000 fans in chase. Yeah. Not- it's nice. It's nice. But it's not an atmosphere. Like, I, the, the, my biggest take from it is, like, it's kind of weird. It's almost weirder than no fans. Well, yeah, um, plus the, the pipe not that I have an, not, Yeah, exactly. Not that I have an issue with it, nor did I not enjoy being there in person, spaced out with no one around me. Like, really phenomenal experience when you do that. But um, it, it's just not the same. Like, 
I will make a definitive judgment on Chase when they play an actual, like, when they play a game like this, playoff stakes on the line with a full packed house and it's a docile crowd, like what we associate with like the Houston Rockets or something, then then we can have a legitimate conversation about how like it's no longer the same. Yeah, um, I've been to Chase a couple times and yeah, I, I think there was a lot made of them very specifically trying to recreate some of the Oracle vibes as far as fan noise and interaction and how loud it could get. But when they open the building up, the Warriors have been terrible since the building was open. So I don't think it's really fair to compare. Yeah, no, amount of, no amount of acoustics is getting the fans to cheer for Kyle. Right, Bowman. and you, there hasn't been those, those Steph Curry moments. I mean, there have been, but just not with fans there. So until we see a full building where, with Steph, you know, raining threes on somebody's head, I don't know if we can really figure it out. I see a lot of people in the comments talking about it's low-key cursed, maybe. Uh, I don't know. As far as as far as Luca, I mean, yeah, he's one of the best ten basketball players on planet Earth. But I personally don't enjoy the like slow motion foul begging game that that he he has. Um, my bigger, he's, my bigger, he's damn good. My bigger issue is it gets rewarded, and it's not a him thing. It's like I don't know, Aaron. We're we're relatively the same age. We're both childs of the nineties. I I kind of like the tension of defensive basketball. Um, maybe I'm just way too nostalgic and like actually being subjected to blood sport like 78 to 81 basketball. I'll be like, Adam, that, was, that was that was a big. Is that the, is it me. kickboxer or blood sport where he like breaks where they got to break the glass and the resin and and John Claude dips his his uh, his hands in the broken glass? Is that blood sport or kickboxer? I don't know. Ah, blood sports the one where he illegally throws the 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 what's it called in his eyes. Oh and yeah, the he powder, starts yeah, doing yeah. roundhouse kicks. Yeah. yeah, he starts doing roundhouse kicks uh, blind. It's so gets good. a little so karate good. kid moment. So good. God, every '80s movie. It just we didn't bring back the '80s movies. They're just so much better. But anyway, um, yes, Chung Lee. Thank you, Ron Dizzle, for the the reminder there. <laughs> uh, but uh, what I was gonna say is. In general, I um, I just feel like, and no fans makes it worse because if you're going to officiate by the letter of the law, they are fouls. What what they're calling for the most part, like you could say it's foul baiting, but it's still a foul. Um, I would just, I just like a game where you you have less of those calls, and someone like Luca or Harden or even Steph's done it at times, they go less to it. It's just not good for the game. No, it's not. And then it's also it's it is the I think the single um, like biggest flashpoint that you can tell how the playoffs and the regular season are. Right. They're not different sports, but they're like they're officiated so differently. And that kind of stuff isn't rewarded. Um, you know, see hard. Yeah, you can see you, you see refs. Chris Paul. Right. You see refs think twice about calling the ticky tack fouls in the playoffs, because even though they may be by the letter of the law, no ref wants to be that guy who gave 21 fouls to Luka Doncic in a 2-2 game. And, but it's also, interestingly enough, right, the, the refs that call the best games during the regular season are rewarded with playoff games and finals games. So it's those guys, theoretically, the better refs that are not falling for that. That's true, too. I, that, I always forget about that, but it's like usually the refs who annoy you in the regular season are not there in the playoffs, except for our guy Scott Foster. 
All right, Joe, Joe Ratto. Joe, what's up, man? Uh, one, thank you for having me on at this time because I just want to say NBA refs are soft and terrible at their job. <laughs> but my second or my question is, uh, whatever happened to uh, Peter Goober? Is he just too tied up in other teams right now? Or when is he going to come in and uh, try to make this team more solid and uh, try to take over for a little bit of what Lacob has been uh, lacking these past two years? This podcast has not had enough Peter Goober takes. I agree with are you, there, are there Thank you for calling it. Peter Goober takes? I don't know. Um, it's like, at this point, I often forget that, like, when they bought the team, it was Lakeup and Goober who bought it. Because, like, it just feels like Lakeup is the man, the full managing general partner. And, like, I understand that there's a lot of – the ownership group is large and it's vast. But, like, until they have a mutiny against them, it's kind of Joe Lakeup's show, right? Uh, yes. And I more importantly, <laughs> shout out to Forrest Whitaker. I forgot. He was the guy. He was in Bloodsport. I was looking for his name. So shout out to uh, Forrest Whitaker for Ooh, that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like 80s movie. Right um, yeah. I, I, so NBA ownership groups are often, uh, except for like that weird one in Milwaukee, they're often just kind of boiled down to one person is the owner, whoever the, the managing partner and governor right. is who makes all the decisions according to the NBA. So, I mean, like, I don't think there are any Peter Gruber takes unless, as you say, a mutiny is committed. Agreed. Um, okay, let's keep moving. Shout out to whoever in the mentions loves to say that I say keep moving. Um, Mike Davis, what's up, man? What's up, guys? How you doing? Um, hey, you know, for, for a yeah. blowout, I'm in a decent mood. What a squeaker, right? What a, squeaker. <laughs> a lot of drama. Wow. Um, I saw this coming from the other night. You know, they they eked it out the other night, and um, you know, they, they just didn't have it tonight, um, uh, for whatever reason. But uh, I got two players that I want to talk about. Um, one is Jordan Poole. Does he seem like, you know, he needs permission to do certain things because, like, he'll like have a wide open lane to drive in, or he'll pass up a three, and then he'll go, oh nope. Let me pass the ball to somebody else. Like, he seems so indecisive. I don't know if you guys see that. And then Wiggins has been getting cooked. And he got cooked by Harrison Barnes the other night. Uh, he's lucky he missed that three to end the game. But Luca was just he, – he just killed him tonight. He just got whatever he wanted on Wiggins. And I'm getting kind of tired of, like, you know, like, oh, his defense is – he's a good defender and stuff Two like Wiggs. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, man, I I don't know if I see that from him every game. Um, you know, he's locked down some guys, but the better players definitely seem to get the better of him. Thanks a lot, Mike. Mike, yes. I appreciate the question. I do agree with you. Jordan Poole is actually, if if we do want to talk to criticisms of Steve Kerr, Jordan Poole is the prime example of it. We can debate how talented he is and what his overall upside in the NBA is, but. He's the epitome of a player who Steve Kerr grinds on for freelancing. And I don't know that that's the best way to coach a lot of younger players, particularly creators. Like there's a lot of, he turns the ball over too much. Okay. Well, what turnovers are a proxy of risk and reward you don't get the step backs and the big time shot making without a little risk taking you coach Stephen Curry. That's how it works. So I, I do agree with you. Like there's, 
he doesn't play as free as he should. And that, that is one of my bigger criticisms because maybe Aaron can explain this better than me, but it's like, it's like the two sides of your mouth thing. You don't call timeout when everything is spiraling, but then when a young player is maybe a little loose with the ball, you get on him too much about it. So first shout out to Mike for the, uh, the voice. He should definitely be doing voiceover work with the, the deep baritone. Um, so, uh, one of I think the main job and uh, Coach Thorpe, you know, from True Hoop, et cetera, talks about this a lot. The main job of a coach is to breathe life and confidence into the players that he is coaching. And Steve Kerr, as it relates to Jordan Poole specifically, also James Wiseman, in my opinion, but as it relates to Poole specifically, I think he has stifled that. And Mike brought up that um, that Jordan Poole looks hesitant. Sometimes Jordan Poole is a very, very confident player naturally, which I think is what bristles at, at Kerr. Um, and I think that some of that has been stifled to the detriment, which is why when he went to the G League and got to have the ball the whole time and got to make his mistakes and just play, he was maybe the best player in the G League. Now that he has come back, I think he is not entirely sure what his role is. His role is and should be Jamal Crawford, uh, Lou Williams. Lou Williams. Like a combo scoring guard off the bench, right? Your sixth man, your seventh man, who can go get buckets, which is especially important on this team because they have nobody other than Steph that can go get buckets. Jordan Poole is the only other guy on the team that can just go get buckets. Andrew Wiggins could, but he doesn't have the mentality to that's, do so. that's another That's another two-hour podcast. Right. So – so I think the problem is Jordan Poole, one, Kerr tried to make him not a point guard, see all that that terrible like stretch where he tried to play him with Mannion so Mannion can handle the ball. Jordan Poole is a combo guard that has to have the ball and is a microwave scorer off the bench. The reason he is hesitant is because he's afraid. He's still a kid. He's afraid to, that he's going to get taken out of every game anytime he makes a mistake, and that is because of how he has been coached. That aggressiveness, that confidence, which does not jive with Kerr's system, Kerr's trying to coach out of him, and it's been to his detriment. When he is making a bunch of shots, when the shots are going in, then he gets to have his confidence and play freely, and then that snowballs, and that builds upon itself, and then he looks great. When he misses his first shot and he's looking over his shoulder thinking he's going to get pulled, then he gets hesitant and doesn't drive, and doesn't know what to do, and it and, and pauses and dribbles, takes one dribble and stops and looks for somebody to pass to. So to me, that is on the development and the coaching because Jordan Poole is sorely needed and is the only guy that can get a bucket other than Steph. Agreed. And, you know, a lot of this comes back to uh, Steve Kerr took over a team that had a bunch of players who were veteran or had gone through – the growth period. Like he took over a bunch of guys who were on the verge or veteran. Like Steph was already an all-star. Clay was on the verge of all-star. They they didn't they weren't at the beginning stages of development the way that Jordan Poole is. And it's just a reminder that like not all coaching is the same, right? Like just because you know how to coach veterans doesn't mean you know how to develop guys. Just sure. because you know how to develop guys doesn't mean you know how to coach veterans. We just watched like Kenny Atkinson who um, 
I think he's a really good coach and did a lot of good things for Brooklyn. Doesn't much matter when you get Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, you can't get their buy-in and what you want to do, right? Like those are two distinctly different jobs. So correct. Well, I think the other part though is he he had some guys that were that you know were mid to early veterans, mid veterans. But in addition to that, we always you know if you watch the the Jordan documentary or just are a fan or a historian of basketball, teams come up against nemeses and get beat up in the playoffs a bunch until you finally get over that hump. And that's what the Warriors did under Mark Jackson, right? The Spurs got them, the Clippers got them. So they had been through those wars in the playoffs. And then Kerr comes in at the later stages of that. So it wasn't just like they were veterans personally, but the team had coalesced and had been through those wars and was ready to get over. Right. It was, it was, it was a perfect, like, the right guy meeting the right group of guys type of thing. Um, all right, keep moving. Forget my guy. Guy. Omar. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Um, I'm in the weird position of slightly defending Kerr, but honestly, I feel like he's, for the most part, been kind of coaching his ass off relative in the past month or so relative to the bullshit he was doing pre-Wiseman injury. Um, chasing and wins. that even extends to chasing wins. And that even extends to um, like his management of pool. I feel like, um, I kind of disagree with your guys' take on this. Paul feels like in you know recent weeks he's had a bit of a long leash. I think he's just a young guy that like he misses some shots. When he shoots badly, it looks really bad, and he kind of gets in his own head. He looks to me like a guy who kind of needs like some consistent practice. He gets a little like he needs to be in the groove a bit. So that's not my issue with like Kerr. Um, you know, tonight generally, um, right so far. The thing that I'm mostly concerned about is like the tweet that Slater put out, you know, showing the margins of losses that we've had this year and just how absurd they are, like ranging from, you know, 50 to 30 and like a bunch of them clustered in between. That's kind of crazy. I feel like I didn't even see those margins that regularly when I was watching, you know, the Eric Pascal tankathon last year. So um, that's the part where I'm getting a bit concerned where, you know, like for all the lack of X's and O's and adjustments and plan B's that Kerr has, there's a distinct lack of, you know, mental strength on this team. Not to bring like a, you know, Arsenal fan TV type of trope, but it's like you know, the chips <laughs> are down. And, you know, these guys, it's kind of like late stage Wenger, really. Like, you know, you have a beautiful system. You're not, you're not wrong. Well, I agree works. With you. Yeah. And then when the chips are down, it's like, you know, everybody looks scared. You, Wiggins looks like he wants to be back in, you know, some you know place in Ooh, Minnesota. This is, this is an really interesting. Bad. And that's, Omar, that's by the way, I'm concerned about. Yeah, thanks. I I 100 agree with you, and that was a great call. Um, Saeed in the mentions goes once Draymond checks out, it's over. And I'm having a hard time disagreeing with him there because, like, you know, that no one no one stands Steph harder than the Light Years podcast, but. Um, in many ways, Draymond is kind of the bad cop that gets the team going, well, Fitz, and you kind of need him to be. Fitz will tell you he's the emotional Dre, is the emotional heartbeat of the team. So, oh, when that, oh have, I, have, I, have I heard that before? I, I don't know. If well, when that goes, it's a wrap. <laughs> yeah. Um, to to Omar's broader point, um, that, that's a fair point in Jordan Poole. That, that is fair. Jordan Poole is still figuring it out. Like he he is a, he is a gunslinger. If it's bad, it's bad. <laughs> There's no way around that. Um, 
Yeah, but fine. But if if it, on a team where you need to rein that back in because there's somebody else you would rather try, fine. But with this roster, if he starts 0 for 3 and there are three bad ones, who do you want taking the fourth? Steph or him? I, I don't. It's nobody else. So, like, what is the alternative in this case? Yeah, no, I agree with you. And then finally, to the to to his last point, like this this roster just kind of is what it is on some level. Like we can we can go. Oh, sorry. Actually, I want to get to this point. His point on the blowouts. I do want to push back on this point a little bit. I think no fans has led to wilder outcomes in both directions than normal. I don't know if you agree with me, Aaron, but like it just feels like when things go bad, they go really bad. I'm looking at this stat that Slater posted. He's posting all the 20 plus point losses. They're at right. There's 12 or so of them at up to 53. Some of that is by proxy related to the no fans, but some of it's also related to this roster. Yeah. So I, I think you and I kind of disagree. Um, I think it's more okay. related to the roster and how this team just isn't very good. And Steph drags them to mediocrity. Uh, Bill Parcells is kind of like, I think it's Bill Parcells is said in the NFL, you know, you are what you, your record is in the NBA. That's less true in the NBA. You are what your point differential is. That's much more predictive of your future success or lack thereof. Right. And I think the Warriors are now, they were even coming to the game. And since they lost by a million tonight, I think they're like minus 0.5 per game. The Warriors just aren't particularly good. And the blowouts and the fact that they get blown out by 20 this regularly, I think is an indication of that. Yeah. I I mean, I I don't think that's completely unfair, but, um, you know, in general, yeah, no, I, I guess I'll go with that. We'll keep moving right now. I don't have anything to add there. Ricky, Ricky Garcia, my guy. What's up? Can you hear me? I can hear yep, you. Yep, gotcha. All right. So, um, you know, I normally don't miss, you know, Kent Bazemore because, you know, I think he would have fallen for the Luca launch a lot tonight. Would have fallen tonight. He would have the first half. Exactly. Uh, but was tonight the night that they probably could have used him? Uh, probably. Um, Ricky, I appreciate the question. It's a good question. So, Kent, to me, Kempe is more like all the players on this roster. Probably being asked to do a little too much. Like, you would like Kent Bazemore on your roster if he was the eighth man, not the sixth man, which he currently is. Um. But yeah, they could have used him because the overarching issue with the Warriors is they don't have enough talent. And the more guys they have with certain talent, the more chance you have that Kemp Bazemore is the energy spark to turn the energy of the game before you get into a 0-25 run. Yeah, so I think, yeah, that's I'm not going to add anything to it because I think that's the exact point. I don't know that Kent Bazemore actually helps in terms of basketball, but energy-wise... Kent Bazemore would have been invaluable. Yeah, we got me? you. Come on. We got you. They, oh, they should give oh, the fans their money back for that shit show. Also, like, a- Andrew Wiggins. Oh, I-, I don't even know what to say. Do y'all think we should keep him? 
I'd rather keep Oubre than Andrew Wiggins. At least Oubre tries to like play hard or I mean his his shots are not falling, but at least he tries to play hard. But um Wiggins, nah. What do you what do you think of a Siakam to Wiggins trade? How many? How many? Would you? How, are you? Is it seven or eight draft picks the Warriors are sending? Are you giving up? Are you Jamil? Are you willing to give up Wiseman? Hell no! For, future oh, picks for, for Siakam. Oh, probably, uh, that Minnesota pick, but not Wiseman. Hell no! Not for Siakam. Hell no! So you'd rather give up the Minnesota pick than than Wiseman? Just in yeah. your order of pri- in your order of priority, you you value Wiseman more than the Minnesota pick. Nah, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah okay, for sure. All right, so hold on, Jamil, break it down for me. So you think when the Warriors call the Raptors and say we're going to give you Wiseman and the Minnesota pick? No, no Wiseman. Pick. We're giving Wiggins. Oh, Wiggins, Minnesota. Right, Wiggins and the Wiggins, Minnesota pick. They're and maybe a, and a future first. Let's yeah, and, future first there, and get and give us back um Trent Junior and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and Seattle. You want Drake too? Nah, hell no. Nah, Trent Junior. Trent Junior would be good for us if we ever had him. Like, what well, do you we could have we, we could have had him. We could have had him over Jordan Poole in the draft. I do um I do love Siakam, Jamil. I appreciate the call. Um, Aaron, let me ask you this. That I don't want to spend too much on trade talk here, but like, and so I think the Warriors are going to end up making a deal, whether it's the right deal or they do it before everything goes south is a different question. But what, how comfortable are you with giving up Wiseman or the Wolves pick or both for a player like Siakam? And where do you think that puts the Warriors? Uh, and and just I, just just so, just so I'm clear, like, like we'll throw in future first. But what I'm saying is like the centerpiece of the trade is one of the, the those are the Warriors' two best assets, right? Like so, the centerpiece of the trade is Wiseman plus a couple future firsts, which are hopefully not in the lottery, or the Wolves pick plus a couple firsts, which are not in the lottery. So either Wiseman and future, or the Wolves pick and future. Correct. Um, I would do that for Siakam if it was Wiseman and the the Wolves pick and then whatever presumably sure. begins to make money work. If it's going to be for a superstar, it's going to have to be somebody that I am pretty certain is going to get the Warriors back into contention. I'm not even sure if Bradley Beal does that. I have right. size and defensive concerns about a backcourt of him and Steph. Um, but for Wiseman or the, the the pick, I think Siakam is that like all NBA fringe guy, you know, multiple but not always time all star. I think that's worthwhile. Um, I just I think that, and, and I think it's Maples who may still be in in the chat. But you've had on a bunch. Yeah, of Yeah, Maples. If you're if you're in the chat, like, hop on. Tap in with each other. He's. He's talked a lot about like you can't have Wiseman and the Minnesota pick if it conveys. You can't have both of them next year because it's just too young and it's not fair to Steph and Dre and and Clay. And I conceptually agree with that. So, but I, there definitely is value, and I think there's value in trying to 
thread the needle as you talk about a lot with the Spurs and, you know, being good for a long time and kind of restocking the pantry. But I, I, it's a lot to ask of Steph. And I mean, we see what it is right now. So I think it's a lot to ask of those guys. If you can, if you can get somebody that is all NBA ish, all-star, like a, a Eastern conference, all-star kind of guy like Siakam for one of those assets, Wiseman or the Minnesota pick, then I think that's something you do. If it's going to take both, then I need something at least Bradley Beal and probably better. I think that's fair. That's that's kind of what I was trying to get at. Like, where's your line with a player? Like, Siakam's obviously a very good player, a player to prove his Do you, do you but... think Siakam, do you think Steph, Clay, Draymond, Ubre, maybe, Siakam, and whatever, you know, like, guys you can get, buyout guys and whatever – mid-level guys, free agent guys you can get, do you think that puts the Warriors back in contention? I think a lot of it would depend on Clay's health, plus let's assume they do well with those mid-level guys. I do think with a healthy Clay Thompson, um, that kind of small ball lineup with Siakam, Draymond, Clay, Steph, and another wing is pretty intriguing, but a lot of it comes down to what level of play you're getting from Clay. Um, because if Clay is severely limited, it's probably still a second tier Western Conference team because it's not, you know, it's still kind of Steph and a bunch of second tier players. I think it gets where, you. I mean, if it whereas, gets you in the conversation, it's worth doing. Okay, fair enough. We'll keep this moving. Need it on a shirt. Let's get Luke up here. Sammy, Luke, how are you, buddy? I'm good, Luke. What's going on, man? Nice to meet you, Aaron, by the you way. as well, brother. This is, every time you call, I listen to the show religiously, and your call is always my favorite, so I'm excited oh, to meet you. I appreciate it, mate. Um, yeah, glad you got me on a bit later, Sam. Got, give me time to calm down, but what the <laughs> fuck is that? Like, I just, I just, just give me a second to get this off my chest, but what, what, what the fuck's going on? Because, like, you guys are talking about playoffs, and everyone's talking about, you know, the future that how about we get our fucking attitude right first like Kurt before the game's like oh we didn't practice all week it's all right and I, I respect um Omar's opinion and I agree with Larry and um Jackson before but this has all started from the start of the year when Kurt fucking didn't take this season seriously and said oh yeah we're not chasing wins all this shit the attitude of this these players tonight was fucking disgraceful Draymond attempted one fucking shot and and, and and Steph didn't even play that bad. He scored 27 fucking points, and we got blown out by 40. Unless the guy goes fucking super saiyan every night, we don't we got, we haven't got a chance in hell to win. So what I'm asking is, can we get fucking serious about what our future is going to be and what we're going to do instead of, like, no disrespect to Michael Mulder. I'm sure he's a great, he's a good, good NBA player. He got 26 points tonight. He was our second most scoring player. Like, what the fuck is going on? We're going to lose to the Wolves on fucking Friday, Sam. I'm really concerned. And I want to give you a shout-out, too, before I end. I know I'm hogging people's time. But, like, I want to give you a shout-out for having the courage to put this up because if I were you, I would have just said, you know what, fuck this, I'm going to sleep. Because <laughs> that was a piss-poor effort tonight. It was fucking disgraceful. And people talking about Arsenal t- fan TV, you and Andy need to be at the front of Chase Centre with a microphone, doing these live streams talk, because there needs to be some serious pressure put on the front office and the media, asking some hard fucking questions about 
taking care of this guy called Steph Curry. The guy scored 27 points. He played he, he played semi-decent for his standards. And he got and they got blown out by 40 by fucking the, no disrespect Dallas Mavericks by 40 to the Dallas fucking Mavericks without Porzingis. Yeah, the Mavericks, the, the Mavericks the Mavericks by the way. Yeah. Cheers, I appreciate boys. it. I'm, 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 I'm raining. I just, I just wanted to say away, because I feel I like. Nah, I appreciate it, Luke. I appreciate the kind words. One more thing, Sammy. So one more thing. If that, if, if, if you guys agree with me, if we've had four or five of these performances this year, if this was any other superstar or any other coach in the NBA, would there not be a hit piece the next day from Woj saying, yep, this guy wants out, this coach is brown bread? Would there not be? No, Cheers, no, no, boys. You... I love you all. Thanks, guys. You are right there. You are. He is correct. I, I don't know another superstar who um, would would uh, would get this. To be honest, like it, it would be there'd be a lot more tension here. But the fact that the Warriors won three titles um, with Steve Kerr, with Steph Curry, with Jeremy Green, with all these guys, so like that's the reason it's not. You know, if this was happening in Dallas with a Luca who had not won anything it might be a little more uncomfortable, right? Like that, that's, that's just, you win, you, you get yourself a little bit of a longer leash. There's a little more patience. There's a little less of the drama. Yeah. And deservedly so, but uh, to answer Luke's question, can we get our head out of our ass and get it together? No, <laughs> this is, this is what it is. Period. This is who these warriors are good, bad, or otherwise. And, they're just a bad basketball team. Not even mediocre. They are a bad basketball team that Steph Curry, through his singular brilliance, drags to mediocrity. In my opinion, Steve Kerr is in his way. But no, it's not going to get better than this until the roster gets better. Uh, I don't know what brown bread, the brown bread reference is, other than Cheesecake Factory, where the brown bread is not as good as the, the sourdough. So I don't know the brown bread reference. But yeah, I think it is kind of the gift and the curse of Steph Curry, right? You can, Steph Curry is the, again, I'm going to use the word again, but he's the most malleable superstar in the NBA. He can fit in a bunch of schemes. His personality works. He's willing to take a back seat when Kevin Durant comes in. Um, but it is also the curse, right? Like LeBron James, James Harden, whoever else, specifically LeBron is not putting up with this nonsense. And that has a way of ruining organizations when superstars exert their influence and their pressure. But in the short term, it also often works. Yeah. I mean, all things in life, there's positives and negatives. Steph not asserting dominance in these situations does allow a lot of other people to do work and in many ways brings positivity. But sometimes you just kind of need a hard ass to come in and just kick everyone in line. So you can go either way with it, but that's such, that's life. All right, Maxwell, what's going on, man? What's up, guys? Uh, I want to focus on uh, – I mean, usually in games like this, uh, I tend to blame Kerr, but I agree with – somebody said he's been coaching his ass off since Wiseman got hurt, and I agree with that. I don't think tonight's – on him, I mean, it's on everybody, but I don't think it's you can really say it's on him. But I want to focus on Draymond, uh, not just for this game, but for the entire season. Because, I mean, think about it. If Draymond was like an average player offensively, that changes the outcome of like seven or eight games this year. That makes us a five seed. That makes Steph the MVP. I, I mean, so much happens if he's just an average offensive player. I mean, and I'm not asking the guy to do anything he hasn't done. People say, 
he, he, you know, he does the little things. He did the little things in 2016, yet he was still perfectly capable of scoring the basketball when he needed to. He, I think, I don't know about you guys, but he, more so than any player in NBA history, gets the luxury of not having to put up good numbers because people just chalk it up to, oh, he does the little things. You know who else does the little things? Michael Kidd-Gilchrist. The difference is he doesn't have the greatest offensive player ever as his teammate. So, I mean, where do you guys stand on Draymond? What's your approval rating of him? Because mine's as, as low as it can get. Maxwell, appreciate the call. Um, a lot of what Maxwell said is not unfair. Uh, Draymond gets the longest leash I've ever seen any player get for not being a scoring threat. But at the same time, I, 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 it's just hard for me to see this game not going or going this way if Draymond had more intensity. So there's something to be said for a lot of the intangible things he brings because the reality is there's not a lot of players who can do the things he does. You mentioned MKG, but like MKG's a nice defender and a solid enough like team player, but he's not Draymond Green. Like that's like that's like saying, you know, like, oh well Seth Curry can shoot. Like Seth can shoot. Seth's not Steph. First of all, shout out to whoever Facundo, Facundo who has the Mac Jones Avi. Um I, I think that, Maxwell, I think that's unfair. Draymond Green is a still a good perhaps a very good offensive player in the NBA. He just doesn't score and doesn't shoot. Um, but the problem is because he doesn't do those things and all of, all of his value offensively is facilitating and, and directing traffic. Um, when he turns the ball over six or seven times, like he did tonight, then like that just craters. Everything well, he, he and does. he just becomes a, he becomes a nightmare in team building because you now have to construct a roster where more people yeah, can that's, shoot that's because he can't. Yes. And he needs to be the center. Well, he needs because he needs to be the point guard. of all these he needs things. The point guard. Period. He needs to be the point guard and the center. Yeah, right. At the yes. same time. Like yes. like so so I mean, he's I do understand people who are always like is it worth it? But at the same time, what are your alternatives? You know, like it's not like you have the option to swap him for LeBron James like that that's not like uh you know or or like you can take it to a smaller level like it, it, you kind of have to deal with what you have uh, yes and the, and the problem again becomes right if if your role is the point guard slash center on offense and you turn the ball over six or seven times and then you're not all world defensively and he at times this year has been all world defensively he cer- he was bad defensively tonight and hasn't been all world defensively you know, when he's not all world defensively, then you can't get away with the I'm just a point center and turn the ball over probably too much. And and you've made the point you you tweeted out a lot about what the team's record is when he scores just eight points, which which matters the fake dribble handoffs and all of that, where he can get a, a dunk or two if he can theoretically get it over the rim when they try to boost him up. He stands on somebody's back and dunks. Uh, the stuff that he does at an elite level, if he's not doing those things at an elite level and he's just at a good or very good level, his value just crazy. I do agree with you. And it's, it, that's, that's what's just the paradox about him. It's like we're asking for him to literally be 
able to finish plays because everything else he does when he's locked in is so good. And it just is what it is, but it's really frustrating. But the other thing, the other thing that's harmful to Draymond's value offensively, and the same is true of Steph is there's a difference between live ball turnovers and dead ball turnovers. And some guys, you know, it's offensive fouls and it's travels or they step out of bounds with that ball step. Draymond and Steph specifically tend to just throw the ball to the other team a lot, which leads to all those pick sixes, those runouts and dunks for the other team. So Draymond specifically. This is, Steph, yeah, this is their why turnovers are more harmful. This is why the Niners are drafting Mac Jones. They're they're tired of Jimmy. You better not put that e- you 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 better not put that <laughs> evil on me. All right, we get two more, and then we're calling it a day. JM Stein, JM, what's up, man? Hey, what's up, Sam? <clears throat> yeah, I I think we're kind of um, underrated what playoff basketball like, how different it is than the regular season. I kind of think we're overreacted. I, I still think we can be a, a team that makes a run. Like last year, the Bucks were like an all-time point differential team. They lost to Miami. Um, I think we get into the playoffs. Draymond will actually try. Um, Jackson talked about we'll be worse in the playoffs. I think we'll be better. I think we'll be better to adjust to those type of doubles, and Steph's going to be awesome no matter what. I still think we're going to be dangerous if we get in there. But why? Based on what? Uh, Based on Steph, Steph making 53s. Steph's being awesome. Utah being not that good. The league not being that great. All right, James Stein, we appreciate you. Um, I mean, yeah, if Steph goes off, they, they always have a puncher's chance. But, like, in the in the broader scheme of things, I just – Yes, I would love to watch the Warriors pull first run upset, but it won't mean anything, right? Like what? Or I, well, I, I no, guess I, I actually, it, I actually disagree with that. I think I don't think they will, but I think if they do, I think it's even valuable, even if they just get oh, it, it, and, it's super valuable for free agency and everything. Yes, I uh, yes, uh, yeah, I think it's valuable because it it continues the narrative. It kicks the can down the road. The narrative of the Warriors being the Warriors, and right. the fact that Steph has had this MVP level season. I think some of the problems in free agency that the Warriors dealt with this past offseason with Gasol, with Ibaka, um, with Aaron Baines, even perhaps, that it, the Warriors didn't seem like the Warriors anymore, so couldn't get those buyout-type guys in free agency, those ring chasers. I think it is valuable and meaningful for the Warriors to make the playoffs for Steph as he has to look like Steph again, and then even if you don't win to really put a scare in somebody, because then you can, because then free agents can say, all right, Clay's coming back. This looks like it's a path to a championship again. Agreed. Agreed. All right. Last caller of the night. And I appreciate everyone who's listening in. Antonio, we'll give you another shot at this. Yes. Antonio, oh, you there? Guys. Yep. Can you hear me? I can hear yep, you. Got you. All right. All right. Uh, first off, I want to say, uh, again, thank you guys for doing this. I was so pissed after that game. I wouldn't have done it either. Follow you guys also for powering through uh locker room. It's been a, a little frustrating, but uh, moving forward, I want to talk about the Wolves real quick because they've won two in a row. I believe they're nine and six when D'Lo and Cat play together. You know, they're the next opponent. And right now they're tied with the third worst record with the Pistons, but they could like get better. And then 
their odds obviously won't be as bad, but then they might have like the odds. So obviously we'll have a higher chance to get the pick, but if it's past the top five, it's like six through 12 is like the same caliber of player. Um, so I know obviously we want to beat them. Do we want them to be the bottom three? Cause I'm like, I know it's uh, higher chances we could get the fourth, fourth pick, but I per- honestly think like next year, since they have a good coach and they have some talent now, that can manifest it. I think they might be like a fringe playing team next year. So I'm kind of worried about that. I just want you guys to take some of Antonio, great question. I think if you get the pick this year, run with it, even if it's number seven, uh, because there's no guarantee the Wolves will be that bad next year. There's just none. Um, this idea that if the pick doesn't convey this year, you're going to magically get the number one pick next year. No, you're more likely to get like the 12th pick or something. Um, I don't necessarily believe the Wolves will, you know, turn it around next year. But like from a Warrior perspective, you got a lot of fortunate luck with Carl Anthony Towns missing two thirds of the year. Towns plays, they're competent enough to not be in the top six, seven picks. Yeah, I mean, Warriors fans should be rooting for the Wolves to lose as many games as possible. Um, and finish with the worst or second worst record because then it's more, most likely to get fourth or fifth. Most people think this is a five-person draft, but I, I think the other part of it is you want the pick, you want the Wolves pick now, specifically because you want those time that time to either trade the asset or to develop along with Wiseman. You don't want to push another rookie that you're waiting on next year and we're one year deeper into Steph's late prime and Dre and Clay and all of that. So. I, you, you want this as soon as possible. That the best case scenario for the Warriors is the the Wolves have the worst record or the second worst record, and that gives the Warriors the best chance of getting the fourth or the fifth pick. But I agree with Andy. You want it? Uh, excuse me. You want it? Agree with Sam? You want it immediately? Yeah, and it's it's just one of those things where it's like, remember that Nets pick that the uh, Celtics right. had that like they traded to Cleveland. That was the greatest ass on earth. All it takes is a team to get their mind together a little bit, and all of a sudden that pick is it's right. not a bad pick right. or anything, but it's like and the, 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 you know, the Isaiah Thomas fiasco, right? Exactly. You, you do all that, and all of a sudden you think it's going to be the best pick in the draft. And all of a sudden it's eighth, and yeah, there you go. You know, and like, and to be fair, Colin Sexton's turned into a nice little player, but like they they had in their minds that they were getting, you know. Uh, what's like Tatum or someone like that. Right. So it's not the same. All right, we're going to end it here. Appreciate everyone. Aaron, I appreciate you as Anytime, always brother. for coming on. Later, guys. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.